Acts chapter 9, we looked at this great conversion last week, the conversion of Saul, the Damascus Road experience as he was going to apprehend believers, God apprehended him. Beautiful, dramatic, life-changing story. I said then, I say now to you again, that most of our salvations are not that dramatic, but they should be just as real as the Apostle Paul's. It may not have been the light from heaven. It may not have been the voice that we heard audibly. But I will say to you that when God comes to make a difference in our lives, when he comes to save us, that we should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has intervened. And it, we should be able to bank upon that testimony the rest of our lives. We should know that we know that we know that Christ has changed us. And that's really what you see. And you see it begin to flesh out in his work and in his ministry. Beginning in verse 20, Dr. Luke records some of the events after the salvation. Now, let me say to you, while it is not mentioned here, Paul does tell us in the book of Galatians that for some time he actually went into the desert, the wilderness of Arabia, and that there as Chuck Swindoll would call it, he received his seminary education in solitude. And then he came back. On another day, a different sermon, we'll talk about that one and talk about what that seminary education would have looked like. But I want you to notice that Dr. Luke's focus here is for us to see how God began to use that early convert, this man named Saul. And he says, immediately he preached the Christ. Some of your translations may say Jesus in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Paul, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So Saul is saved. He's had this, these moments to reflect upon that salvation and allow God to deepen his faith. And he comes and he begins to naturally share this Jesus that saved him. Have you noticed this, this repetition throughout the book of Acts? Have you noticed how Dr. Luke reminds us that when God touches a person's life, it is thus very natural for them to share what Christ has done? Again, and I've reminded you before, I say again, repetition is good for the soul, right? That once we have been saved and God changes us, it should naturally flow into our witness. I understand that we need to be encouraging and motivating. But sometimes what we need to see in our lives is the salvation of God and how beautiful and wonderful it is. How we have been totally changed. And when that occurs, we naturally are able to share with other people. That should be a natural reaction of the believer. That we are personally sharing our story Every day of our lives, in our own context, in our own way. We should just naturally do that. All for discipleship. Brother Loy, amen. 
all for discipleship. But I am convinced that you do not have to attend an eight-week seminar on 101 ways that you can share Jesus. I'm convinced you don't have to do that in order just simply to share Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that. Yes, we need to be more effective, and I'm all for studies. I'm all for discipleship. I'm just saying to you that when God gets a hold of you, you ought to be able to talk about God. And here is Saul. And he preaches Jesus in the synagogues. And notice his message that he is the Son of God. Now, what a dramatic difference. And they note this in Saul. What a dramatic change in message. Because beforehand, he was going around and he was, he was capturing these individuals who were confessing that Jesus is Christ and he's putting them in jail. And now his message is, hey, you know that Jesus that I've been persecuting? He actually is Christ. He is Messiah. He is the one that has been promised. And everybody begins to look around. Is this all? Is this the guy that came to Damascus to root out Christianity? To root out the people of the way? Is this the same Saul that now has changed his message? Now he's done a 180 on us. And he's going around proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And it says, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus, this Jesus, is the Christ. He confounded those that he spoke to. He, spoke, he confounded the very arguments of this Jewish community. And who better to do that? I mean, who better to confound the Jewish audience there in that synagogue in Damascus? Who better than Saul? Because what's his background? Judaism 101, Judaism 201, Judaism 301, Judaism 401. It's all about Judaism for Saul. And remember, that's the reason he's trying to persecute those early believers is he, try, he is trying to protect the way of his people. And he's been brought up in this. He, he's been steeped in culture. He's been steeped in the ritual of Judaism. He has, been, he has learned the doctrine of the Jewish people. He knows it probably better than anybody else. And now get this. God has redeemed this man in such a way that he is now able to take that knowledge that he has of Judaism and use it to prove that Jesus is the Christ and to confound those who would argue with him. Isn't there something kind of beautiful about this? The way God would take his background. How in the world, how in the world could God use an individual that was intent upon persecution and murder how could he do that? Acts 9, 20 through 22 shows us exactly how he can do it. He takes all of that giftedness and that, and that knowledge and he uses it in exactly the right place and situation to advance the gospel. 
Now, I'm not a fatalist. I'm not one of these guys that buys into everything is just determined and like it doesn't matter about your decision. Or I, I believe that we have true choices that we make in life. But I also believe that God's guiding hand is always present. And he shapes us. It's kind of like they used to describe um, the writing of Scripture. And they used to talk about what inspiration was of Scripture and how the, how the writers were inspired. Was every word totally dictated or was there some freedom given to the individual? Hey, I will say this to you, that I believe each and every individual that wrote in the Scripture, for example, that their whole lives have been guided by God. And that's the reason you have some differences of perspective. You have some differences of vocabulary and language because the fisherman is going to write different than the doctor. But God, in all of those years prior to their conversion, was still working in their lives to shape their background, to shape who they were, so that when they produced the scripture, for example, it was exactly what we needed. Here, Paul, or Saul, his background has been shaped. God has been watching this man. He created this man. And he's been watching this man all through his life. And that influence somehow was there. And God takes the, that knowledge and he uses it to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It's wonderful. I remind you again, if God can take Saul, he can take any of us. And maybe that's sometimes what we need to do is look at how he has shaped our lives and see the areas of giftedness and say, God, now how would you use me to show others that you are the Christ, that your son Jesus is the Christ? How would you use me? And then go with that passion. Passion. It's a great word, isn't it? Passion. Passionate about something. You know, we're all passionate about something. Every one of us can get passionate about something in our lives. Some of you, you're passionate about golf. Some of you, you're passionate about football. Oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Some of you are passionate about LSU. God help you, but you are. You're all passionate. I see people all the time in churches that are passionate. They can get passionate about some small things, like the color of the carpet. You don't think you can get passionate in a Baptist church? You just change the color of the carpet. You think I did it one time? Never will again. You better like this carpet. They can get passionate. I mean, I'm talking about And yet, what Saul got passionate about was Christ. It was Christ and his story and the message. And you remember, you remember some of you when you were saved. Do you remember that experience? It was kind of like Saul, right? You had, you had experienced that salvation and you were ready to go out and say, now what can I do to change the world? 
And then some of those older, more mature Christians began to say, hey, settle down there a little bit. Remember, you can't change the world by yourself. And unintentionally or intentionally, sometimes we have dampened the passion of those new believers. But I'm going to say to you that many of us, including this pastor here who has been a Christian for many years, some of us need those new believers to help us stir the passion within us. Because we should always be passionate about the salvation that he has provided. I say to you, you can get passionate about so many other things. Our passion as believers should be Jesus Christ. And this is what he is passionate about. So he increased in strength. He confounded those who dwelt in Damascus, the Jews. Well, and everything went well, and he was elected president of the Jerusalem Baptist Convention, right? Not quite the way all this happened. He was passionate, which was great, but outside hostility came. Verse 23 says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Okay? We cannot defeat him in argument, so we'll kill him. Very logical, right? We're going to destroy him. But this is their response. But their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Now remember, he's a passionate believer. That's all he is at this point. And yet, they want to kill him. Well, thank God for those sometimes who go unnamed in Scripture. The anonymous. Because it says in verse 25, then the disciples. The disciples, who are they? We don't have their names. We're not talking about the classic apostles here. The disciples who were there in Damascus, whatever their names were, they took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. They let him down. They saved his life. Two things. One, it's almost... Maybe amusing is not the right word. Maybe ironic to see Saul, who had been moving up in the world, who was pleasing the Sanhedrin, who was pleasing the Jewish leaders, who was on his way to be somebody, now in a place where he is crawling into a basket that's made of ropes, and he is being let down so that he can escape for his life. I think that is ironic to begin with. But the other part of this is how God takes individuals, unknown individuals in Scripture, and he uses them to save the life of Saul. You'll see this again in a few moments. I heard a speaker um, many years ago. I was down at First Baptist Lafayette. He was speaking in an evangelism conference, and he made a statement that has always resonated with me. And the statement he made was this. The kingdom of God is built upon the anonymous. The anonymous. 
Well, he didn't want to take away from the apostles. He wasn't wanting to take away from that. He just meant overall, if you look at the church through all of the centuries, really it was built upon the unnamed. He used some examples from Scripture. But you know, we could think about tonight, Temple Baptist Church. Temple Baptist Church. Uh, Next year we will be... You know how old? 90 years. You, you pastor, 90 years old next year. Dwight Anderson was nothing but a 15-year-old boy when this church was started. 90 years will be next year. And think about it. I pointed out before, we've had great leadership and yes, You probably can walk by and you can recognize some of the pastors who are on the wall behind me. Some of them you you probably won't. Some of them you probably couldn't even name if you saw them. But think of all of the others. Some of you could name them, but their names are not necessarily on the marquee outside. They were just people who were doing what God called them to do the right moment. And at the right time to advance the kingdom. And the disciples, whoever they are, they're there to save Saul's life. The passionate Saul. Well, verse 26, he decides he's going to go down to Jerusalem. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. It was a great, great festive welcome for Saul. Well, not really. It says that they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, here's this passionate young man. He's been saved. He's heard the voice. He's heard the light. He's had to run out of Damascus because of the hostility that's there. He's come down to Jerusalem. He's going to find, he thinks, support among the church at Jerusalem. And and here's the scene. They begin to sing, just as I am. In about the eighth verse, he decides, I'm going to go forward. And I'm going to tell First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, I want to be a member. He goes down. He tells the pastor that he wants to be a member And the pastor begins to try to think about what he's going to say and what he's going to do because he knows his deacons are not going to go along with this. He knows that the church is not going. So he begins to hem-haw around. And the scripture says they're all afraid and they're all thinking, what are we going to do? And they say, Saul, we don't believe you. We don't believe this is a real conversion. That misses us sometimes when we read the scripture. Sometimes we miss that. There was a sense of rejection of Saul. And that, I know the way things work out and I know it worked. But don't you know that had to hurt for Saul? You ever been hurt at church before? Don't raise your hand. You ever been hurt? You ever had a moment where you felt like you were rejected? 
And there can be those moments. I'll be honest with you. There can be those moments in churches. You know why? Because churches are made up of people. And all of us are imperfect. And we don't always get it right. We're striving together, but we sometimes mess up. And for you and I, we would, we would say, oh, we would have been very gracious to Saul. Yes, we would have believed him just like this, but don't be so quick. If somebody had purposed in their heart and in their lives to bring down the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you knew that, and you knew that they were doing everything they could to violently confront the church, and then all of a sudden... One Sunday, they come down and they want to join. Don't be so quick of saying, yeah, I believe them. Because I have a feeling that many of us would have looked with a suspicious heart and eye as well. Many of us may have thought, is he trying to just come in and find out who we are? And that's what they thought. Is he just trying to find out our names so that he can give them to the legal authorities? And he was rejected. Man, the church can be a tough place sometimes. It can be. I've worked in a, a church since I was 14 years old in some way. And I remember in my teenage years being involved in the church there at Blue Springs and going through almost a crisis time in my life because I could see the, the way certain things had been done and I could see people every now and then that had gotten hurt and, and I'll, I'll tell you as a 16 year old I mean it's hard to deal with it when you're a 36 year old right but as a 16 year old who was idealistic who thought I could win the world just by myself and was passionate and to see the things I went through a crisis of faith with God's people. It began to affect my physical health. I went to different doctors. I talked with them. My parents would take me there. I can tell you this after a year because I'm past the probationary period, right? There's no like revote now. Even after that 15-year-old comment, right, Dwight? There's no revote now. I went to this doctor who told my mother that I would never be able to do ministry. I've only shared that a few times, but she just he said, because of the stress and how he responds, he'll never be able to do ministry. I am thankful to God he was wrong. Because I went through that crisis of faith. And instead of becoming bitter, as some people do, I think, I believe God made me stronger in my faith. And I recognize, you know what? We don't have it all together. And it's okay. But we should try to be better each and every day as a people and as a church. We don't have it all together because we're humans. And there are going to be times the church will hurt you. But don't allow it to consume your, 
consume your passion. And don't let it take away your perseverance. Because get this, no matter what church you're a part of, and no matter what church you find difficulty in, may I tell you that there are some Barnabases out there. And what you need to do is hook your wagon to a Barnabas. Verse 27, but Barnabas. Don't you just love the way that verse begins here for us? But Barnabas. I mean, here he is. He's been rejected. Nobody in the church wants to have anything to do with him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas takes Saul, who at this point must have been disheartened and disappointed. And Barnabas brings him before the apostles. And Barnabas says, let me tell you what God has done in this young man's life. I will stand here and I will stand for him. But we shouldn't expect anything differently, should we, from Barnabas? You remember Barnabas, who we had met earlier in the book of Acts? Barnabas which was this surname, this nickname, which means son of encouragement. I mean, he had been so known for encouragement that he had gotten a nickname about it. And now he's the one who stands up. Thank God for those Barnabases. And you and I have had them. We've had them in moments where we felt disappointed and disheartened and rejected, and yet God took a Barnabas who had the spiritual gift of encouragement to come into our lives and to stand up for us. Barnabas takes Saul. We'll we'll see how he'll intervene on Saul's behalf again, but here he takes him before the church. And it says in verse 28, so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. I mean, it took one verse to resolve this issue. Don't you wish sometimes it would only just take one verse in our midst? It says Barnabas just goes. He puts his credibility on the line. He stands up for Saul, and it says, thus, Saul was with him. Resolved it. Saul went in, and he went out with him. He worshiped with him. He studied with him. He was with him. He persevered. And I think that's where the mix has to be in our lives. We have to have the passion, but we have to have the perseverance. We have to have passion for Christ, but we have to persevere. And you know what? There will come outside hostility sometimes in our lives, and we'll have to persevere. Keep going. Keep telling people. Sometimes it'll be your own church, your own Sunday school class, your own biological family perhaps that might damper your passion. But what God wants you to do is keep going. When that passion is dampened, keep going. Well, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists and they attempted to kill him. (laughs) 
when the brethren, notice again, unnamed, when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Back home. And thus Saul disappears from the church's life, at least according to the story of Dr. Luke. I mean, he just goes back. And maybe he's telling people, I believe he's probably telling people about Jesus back in Tarsus. Some people believe he was making tents. He was going back to that vocation. He's telling people. But he kind of disappears. And Saul's out of the picture. But get this, verse 31, and we'll close. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. It's one of those summary statements Dr. Luke includes for us. And maybe he includes it here as the Holy Spirit directs him to remind us that, yes, Saul had returned to Tarsus, but God was still working. And God's going to use Saul. Yes, he's going to. He's going to, he's going to use this great apostle Paul. He's going to do that. But it's just kind of like a side note just to remind us that, yes, Saul's conversion has taken place and he's been preaching and Barnabas there. But God's kingdom is not dependent upon one individual. But God's kingdom, as he empowers it, will continue to advance. And the church will multiply. Great leaders that we have had in our Christian faith. Great leaders in our churches. How in the world could we begin to measure the influence of Billy Graham? And yet, even when Billy Graham passes, God will still continue his work. God is greater than any one individual. Oh, he can use one individual. But he's greater than just one individual. And the church just simply multiplied. The passion and the perseverance of Saul. It's a great model for us, no matter where we are in our Christian walk and journey. God wants us to be passionate. He wants us to have a heart of perseverance. Keep going, no matter what. Let's pray together. Father, again, I thank you uh, for this night and gathering us in this place. I thank you for every believer that's here. I thank you for saving them. Thank you for the passion that you gave them. God, I pray that you would continue to ignite that passion in their hearts. And God, that they would be able to speak boldly your name. Now, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, some who have faced outside hostility, maybe in the workplace, uh, maybe at school. God, would you help them just to keep going? God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place that have experienced disappointment in the family of God itself. 
God, I pray that you would mend, that you would heal wounds, that you would raise up a Barnabas to come beside them and to walk with them. And God, when we walk from this place, when, Lord, we testify of you, that, Lord, our lives would be marked by that passion and perseverance that you would wish us to have. Now speak to us, encourage us, help us to keep going. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? So we have this hymn of invitation. Maybe you just need to come pray. Maybe you need to go to somebody and thank them for being a Barnabas. Maybe you just, whatever you need to do tonight, just listen to